Please join me. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very beautiful thing to come together and expand our lungs by singing a prayer as we move into prayer. And so I invite you as well as myself to bring my awareness down into my heart and in my mind's eyes seeing that heart center expand and breathe, activating that divine intelligence. And with ease and grace moving in now down my awareness and my mind's eye down into my, to my core to that intuitive center, that second chakra, where that divine intuition gets activated two inches below my navel point. Once again, breathing in, activating intuition. And I invite you then to share this prayer with me, allowing my words to be your words, but also to know that as I speak these words, that we have opened these, these energetic centers of intelligence, the heart center, the intuitive center and the, the mind as well that this prayer is guided and directed by the mosaic of those three capacities that opening within myself and within yourself to not only hear the words but to embody them and take them in with the love and the grace and the beauty that they convey so what I know in this moment I just give thanks for this beautiful beautiful opportunity to come together in sacred practice to turn within to listen, to not only listen to the words and the music today, but also to listen deeply to ourselves and to know that that conversation continues and is always available. And as we embody the discipline and the awareness and the welcome and the consciousness of being in direct and beautiful communication and the ceaseless conversation and the opportunity for the infinite to inform, instruct, resource, support, love, nurture, expand and assist us in dissolving anything that is no longer necessary for us on this beautiful journey of eternity together. I just give thanks. I give thanks for this beautiful music this day, the musicians that were called here by right of consciousness, that we were called here by right of consciousness, that we stand on the shoulders of many, many amazing teachers upon this planet, and we celebrate good wherever we see it. For we, we are this tribe that pushed the envelope of spirituality upon this planet to realize that what the conditions are in this moment are simply facts, and facts change all the time. And the way that we enhance and shift the conditions of this world and our own lives is through the expansion of our own consciousness. And so I'm so grateful today to be able to share this beautiful information, the wonderful authors, the wonderful consciousness whose shoulders we stand upon. I know that every good thing necessary for myself and for each person here and each person that we come in contact with 
as we extend this beauty and knowing and recognition of the divinity within all of life, all humanity, despite what it looks like, is a powerful and transformative practice. I give thanks for this opportunity to stand with you this day in this, knowing that this, continue, this community continues to be a vibrant center of light, of love, of wisdom, and a deepening and ever deepening of the presence of spirit and its influence in our lives. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. So happiness, if you were here earlier, we got to see Pharrell sing a song, which I love that song. You know, it's just, there's such a great energy about it. And we were in Toronto last uh, week, first time Laura and I have been in Toronto. And um, from what I've heard from folks around here, it was, um, we've been there, done that, and it was great. It was wonderful. Tried to go to the ball game there. We spent an hour driving around the stadium trying to find a place to park. About the third inning, I said, I don't think we're going to the ball game. (laughs) But you'll live and learn. Alrighty, so we have this, um, The Art of Happiness, part one, uh, and it's inspired by the Dalai Lama's book, The Art of Happiness. He wrote it with um, um, Howard Cutler, Dr. Howard Cutler, who's a a psychologist, and it's a beautiful book. I picked it up, and it's just such a lovely, um, and so I wanted to begin to have the conversation with you today, but as we go into it, I want to show you a a really great video of... uh, a researcher, it's a TED talk, it's about four minutes long, but it really sets up, because it's called, it's called the Successful Science of Happiness. And we're gonna cue that up for you in a moment, and we'll start there, and then we'll move forward. And while we wait, let's all be happy. Because <laughs> we gotta wait anyway. Yes, I suspect, though I'm gonna show you some experimental evidence, you don't have to look very far for evidence. I, as a challenge to myself, since I say this once in a while in lectures, I took a copy of the New York Times and tried to find some instances of people synthesizing happiness. And here are three guys synthesizing happiness. I'm so much better off physically, financially, emotionally, in almost every other way, mentally, almost every other way. I don't have one minute's regret. It was a glorious experience. I believe it turned out for the best. Who are these characters who are so damn happy? Well, the first one is Jim Wright. Some of you are old enough to remember. He was the chairman of the House of Representatives. And uh, he resigned in disgrace when this young Republican named Newt Gingrich found out about a shady book deal he had done. He lost everything. Most powerful Democrat in the country lost everything. He lost his money, lost his power. What does he have to say all these years later about it? I am so much better off physically, financially, mentally, and in almost every other way. What other way would there be to be better off? Vegetably, minerally, animally? He's pretty much covered in there. Maurice Bickham is somebody you've never heard of. Maurice Bickham uttered these words. Upon being released, he was 78 years old. He'd spent 37 years in Louisiana State Penitentiary for a crime he didn't commit. He was ultimately exonerated at the age of 78 through DNA evidence. And what did he have to say about his experience? I don't have one minute's regret. It was a glorious experience. Glorious! This guy is not saying, well, you know, there's some nice guys. They had a gym. It's glorious, a word we usually reserve for something like a religious experience. Harrius Langerman uttered these words, and he's somebody you might have known but didn't, because in 1949, he read a little article in the paper about a hamburger stand owned by these two brothers named McDonald's, and he thought, that's a really neat idea, so he went to find them. They said, we'd give you a franchise on this for 3,000 bucks. Harry went back to New York, asked his brother, who was an investment banker, to loan him the $3,000, and his brother's immortal words were, you idiot, nobody eats hamburgers. He wouldn't lend him the money, and of course, six months later, Ray Kroc had exactly the same idea. It turns out people do eat hamburgers, and Ray Kroc, for a while, became the richest man in America. Oh, and then finally, you know, the best of all possible worlds. Some of you recognize this young photo of Pete Best, who was the original drummer for the Beatles. 
until they, you know, kind of like sent him out on an errand and snuck away and picked up Ringo on a tour. Well, in 1994, when Pete Best was interviewed, yes, he's still a drummer, yes, he's a studio musician, he had this to say, I'm happier than I would have been with the Beatles. Okay, there's something important to be learned from these people, and it is the secret of happiness. Here it is, finally, to be revealed. First, accrue wealth, power, and prestige, then lose it. <laughs> Second, spend as much of your life in prison as you possibly can. Third, make somebody else really, really rich. And finally, never ever join the Beatles. Okay, now, I, like Z. Frank, can predict your next thought, which is, yeah, right. Because when people synthesize happiness, as these gentlemen seem to have done, we all smile at them, but we kind of roll our eyes and say, yeah, right, you never really wanted the job. Oh, yeah, right, she, you really didn't have that much in common with her, and you figured that out just about the time she threw the engagement ring in your face. We smirk because we believe that synthetic happiness is not of the same quality as what we might call natural happiness. What are these terms? Natural happiness is what we get when we get what we wanted, and synthetic happiness is what we make when we don't get what we wanted. And in our society, we have a strong belief that synthetic happiness is of an inferior kind. Why do we have that belief? Well, it's very simple. What kind of economic engine would keep churning if we believed that not getting what we want could make us just as happy as getting it? It's a wonderful way to think, I think, to approach um this idea of happiness, and it ties in so beautifully with what the Dalai Lama has to say in this beautiful book, The Art of Happiness, which, which actually, um, Howard Cutler began writing this in, 1990, um, in the 1990s, early, I think it was 1990, and he couldn't find a publisher. No one would publish the book. He was finally ready to mortgage his house and self-publish when, through a coincidence of conversation, he met, he met someone who put him in touch with someone else that finally said, we'll publish the book. And it's now sold millions of copies. But at the time, no one, who wants to talk about happiness? And especially, I mean, if we really, if you come from a, a, a religious background that I come from, I mean, it is completely self-serving from that perspective to even think of being happy. It's just, I mean, and that's a, I think that's a popular idea. How selfish of you to, to, for you to want to be happy when there's so much suffering going on in the world. And so the Dalai Lama um, uh, expands on this in such a beautiful way and in such a sequential way. So it's a series of interviews over a period of time that, um, that he discusses happiness. He was asked by Howard Cutler, are, are you happy? He said, yes, I'm very happy. I'm very, very happy. And, uh, but he said, you, we, can, we can develop this. We can train in happiness. It requires practice and, and sincere and dedicated effort to live a happy life. And so he also talks about the, the benefits of it for uh, um, uh, oneself as well as for one another. There's a fellow that's also part of this study by the name of Dr. Martin Sle uh, Selgman. And Selgman wrote a book called Flourish. And it's, about, it's, a, it's called Positive Psychology. This didn't come about until 1998, Positive Psychology. Because up until then, psychology is really deal dealing with phobias and fears and, and depression and all the things that we can medicate and we can talk about and the pain and suffering. And so all of a sudden, lo and behold, this doctor said, let's do positive psychology, which is positive emotions, it's human strengths, and, what, and, and it's the capacity that allows us to make, live a life worth living, which I think are very, very interesting. Um, and, and so what I would say about this, the delay on this book and about uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Seligman is that I don't think the consciousness was ready. I think ideas emerge on the planet when the consciousness is ready. And I, for whatever it is, 
you know, I, I've said a few times, God's delay is not God's denial. Well, in, in Toronto, there was a huge discussion about God and this, this phrase that I am God. So what I would say to you then is, uh, my delay is not my denial. So, um, but this idea, this, we got into this discussion on, on this term of God. And, and, what, and, and let me just state this, because there's a lot of uh, concern about this. And I've, uh, uh, is that the Dalai Lama said that the term to describe God is to diminish it. It's a symbol. I have people come to me and say, you talk about God in the male too much, and it's more female. So I said, well, if I go to the female on it, I'm sure I'll get pushback from the guys that really love to hear God because it's this, it's a symbol. It's just a word. God, for us, is the field. It's a field. It's the quantum field. It's love beauty, as Michael Beckwith would say. It's love beauty. So I think I might go with love beauty until I forget and use God again. But it's love beauty. It's a field that we, that we are in. So this whole idea is such a limiting idea. It's the Old Testament idea of God up on a cloud or the goddess from Shiva and all that stuff. It's just our, our mind's way of trying to capture a symbol or an idea that gives us a grounding in that connection, but it is the feel. Because spiritually we have, there's four capacities that we have in terms of awareness. One is sleep. I know a number of you in the back rows there, you're getting a good rest right now. And I did that for yours as well because I couldn't, I, I wasn't ready for the words. I was just ready for the peace. Um, it's true. I was exhausted. I spent a lot of my life. I have a PhD in exhaustion, and uh, I've, I've mastered that, but I used to sit in the back row, and I'd fall asleep at every talk. I'd go up to my teacher and say, I'm sorry, I can't stay awake. She said, that's okay. You're tired. <sighs> Thank you. Best thing she could have told me, because if that became wrong, I would have I left. You know, it would have been all that stuff. I'm not good enough. I can't live. Anyway, so sleep's one. Then there's dreaming. It's two. So dreams can be very important. Number three is that we are captured by the outside world. We look out and we, there's all the stimulus. You know, the scientist that just talked here, it's all about the outside world, it's research, it's ideas, it's insight, it's really important stuff, great stuff. And then the fourth state is the spiritual. And spiritual practice is whatever allows us, supports us in looking within. Whatever practice you have in your life that takes your focus of awareness inwardly so that you can look at how you're feeling, why you're feeling a certain way, why you respond a certain way, what brings greater, what, what ideas and situations create a greater sense of happiness and fulfillment in your life or create the, the pain and the suffering in your life. But either way, looking within is spiritual. So meditation, sometimes it can be looking within. Sometimes my meditations are all out there in the world. I wouldn't call it a very deep meditation. But, but, but it's a meditation that is valuable because it's allowing me to lift up and dissolve some of the things that are, are, are I'm struggling with. So, to, so the whole spiritual nature, the whole uh, idea of spiritual awareness is the look within. And God is simply a symbol. But God does not describe God because God is indescribable. As the Dalai Lama said, to try to describe it diminishes it. It's a field. And we're all in this field at some certain level of, of relationship with it. So it's a beautiful thing. I'm speaking, I know I'm, but I'm giving you some ideas that I think are valuable in terms of our discussion and how we approach spirituality. We talk about the Center for Spiritual Living. So in the country of Bhutan, Bhutan does not measure gross national product anymore. They have replaced it with gross national happiness. And there's one of the cit- citizens of Bhutan looking out a window, looking pretty happy. But they measure gross national happiness. Isn't that a revolutionary idea that we might want to adopt in the, with a new 
political system in Canada. We could, be the, we could be the GNH of Alberta. We could run next election. Four years, there's one coming. Did you see the story the other day? Uh, I was so, I was, um, you know, this idea of, of happiness. I, did you see the 12 nurses that won the 12.5 million? They shared the, the thing. They bought, they bought a lottery ticket, and they, and they all were there, and they were like all, you know, they posed for the picture with the big fake check they had, and I just thought, how great. You know, I've had many nurses that have probably saved my life over the years. And I heard a radio program the other day, and they were talking about the doctor comes in and gives you a description, but the one that really tells you what's going on is the nurse. And I thought, isn't that not true? But God bless the nurses. If anybody's going to win the 12.5 and share it 12 ways, boom, I'm happy for them. But the, the joy around that, that, that I felt, that I was just like, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for them. But, you know, I could have said, oh, that, that should have been me. <laughs> well, if we believe in oneness, it was me, Right? <laughs> I mean, that's a great thing. There's synthetic happiness. So happy people. Happy people are, are I made a, done the list because this is what uh, Dr. Cutler had in his book. He said happy people are, are more likely to attract a mate. Now, if you already have a mate, that's probably not a good idea. But if you're happy and looking for a mate, this is good. Enjoy a stronger and more satisfying marriage. They're, they typically are better parents. They're typically healthier. They have better immune function, less cardiovascular disease, can live 10 years longer, and better mental health. I mean, that's just part of being happy. And so what happens as well is that Dr. Michael Beckwith, I spoke on um, Thursday evening in, in Toronto before, or Toronto, as a lot of you have said to me this morning, um, is that uh, um, he talked about in his talk about this idea of you win some, you lose some. Anybody ever heard that phrase, you win some, you lose some? And he said, you know, it's not, he said, that doesn't work. He said, you win some, you learn some, and you grow some. You win some, you learn some, you grow some. I like that a lot better than you win some, you lose some. Because we never lose. What it is, we have the experience, and we learn from it. And then we realize, you know, from that learning, what I want to do is I want to grow something. And I thought, I love that. He also talked about being um, a a, blissipin instead of discipline. Blissipin. So to get yourself lined up with bliss, blissipin. I thought, oh, I love this guy. I got to tell my story about my daughter and, and my new grandson when I was there. I haven't told it here yet, but I'm getting ready. And uh, it was quite lovely because it was an able, uh, opportunity for me to process some of that with a, a beautiful group of people. That, uh, and it helped circulate love where, um, I th- the, you know, there's a lot of content in some of these things. But for my story was just a story of being cracked open and... Uh, uh, and how love, when love and longing come together. So I'm going to put that together for you. At some, I'll let you know when, so you, you would not want to miss it because we're going to pick our million-dollar uh, lottery winner that Sunday as well. <laughs> Finally going to have that drawing. We're going to give away a dollar a year for the next one million years, and you could win that. <laughs> or a loony a year, I should say, sorry. But anyway, be- the happiness benefits... It benefits not only ourselves, but it benefits family, it benefits community, and it benefits society. Because when we're happy, we're more likely and more apt to help one another. We're, we're, the, 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 all the studies say that when we reach out into the world and we're more, we're more um, we can be in service to one another, and we can love one another, and we can lift one another up. And so happiness can be such a powerful, powerful practice for us because it enlivens us, and we have excess energy to share and be in the world. Yesterday, Laura and I were, were walking through the river valley and, and there was a run walk for the homeless. 
And it was so great that just as we were coming up the walk or the, the pathway along uh, the Louise McKinney Park, they were, they were running in the opposite direction. It just started. And the, the joy on their faces, I, I said to Laura, look how happy these people are. Oh my, they're just like, they're running along. And like, I, you know, I mean, they're just on fire. I was ready to follow them. I wanted to get some of it. It was just like this wave of, of joy. Of being, and you could see the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of being out there and, and being uncomfortable to help other people. I thought, man, there it is. I'm talking about this tomorrow. There it is. They're running, they're running by. It was wonderful to be in that. It was perfect timing. Perfect. Just as we got to our turn, they came, this flood of these love bunnies came hopping down the trail. It was awesome. Happiness is determined by our state of mind rather than external events. And I, and I think this scientist, Dan Gilbert is his name, does a beautiful job of talking about these per- people that had expectation. You know, uh, happiness is, is the, the result of getting the things that we w- want to have, and synthetic happiness is what we create as a result of not getting the things we want to have. And it's, a, it's such an interesting thing. And, and, and to, to value one more than other, I think, does, it, it does a disservice and I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you in a bit. When um, uh, Dan Cutler and uh, the Dalai Lama were um, putting this book together in Arizona, they were meeting in Tucson. And they did a number of meetings, but one of the areas where they'd spend a lot of time was Tucson, Arizona. And, and Dan Gilbert said that in the morning, the Dalai Lama, the first morning, he was walking to go give a lecture, and there, were the, there was a housekeeper there. And so he stopped, and he said, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Mexico. And they talked for, she said, not a long period of time. But you could just tell this woman just glowed that this, this amazing man, because he said, the Dalai Lama says that I'm never lonely. When I left Tibet, when I was driven out of Tibet, everyone is my family. And I understand that. It's everywhere I go. So I have long-term friends, but everyone is my friend. And so he just shows up in this beautiful humility and love and consciousness of, and he's prayed up. This man's prayed up. You know, it's just an amazing example of possibility that holds a space for all of us. It's an example of possibility. And, and he said to her, you know, where are you from? And, and so the next morning he's going back in because he was there for about seven or eight days lecturing and, and working with the author. So the next day, all of a sudden, she brings two of her friends. So now it's not just one housekeeper, it's three of them standing there waiting for him. <laughs> so he goes over and he talks to them. By the end of the week, there were like 15 housekeepers lined up to talk to him. But isn't this amazing when, when someone just lives from love and it's such an amazing experience? I'm reading the autobiography of the yogi that was gifted to me by a couple of our members and it's such a wonderful book and I was listening to on, I was on YouTube and I was listening to one of his disciples talk about as a young man he went to the Self-Realization Fellowship in, in Mount Washington in California and Yogananda said, I want to have dinner with you guys. So they, these two young guys, and he said, we're just like two eager dogs. We're sitting there with him, and he's feeding us food, and he's talking. And he would talk and talk and talk. And he would talk, like, all night long. They would just sit there. And he said, my friend, I can't remember his name, my friend that came with me was getting sleepy because, we, you know, we hadn't, <laughs> were up all night. And so Yogananda would just go, and he said, he'd perk right up. It helps. Just, I'm going to start doing that with some of you. See if that starts working. <laughs> But, you know, he had such a beautiful consciousness, and they said that just being in his energy, just being in his energy and listening to him speak, he said it was incredible. And he said, we did that for three nights straight. It was just lovely. 
And what this man said, and I don't recall his name off the top of my head, he says, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. But it requires practice, and it, it, it requires the longing and the discipline to move more and more into that experience. And the Dalai Lama talks about that. These, these qualities, this capacity for happiness and to re, rewire our brains, the neuroplasticity of the brains that we know about, that the brain can be, they've done study after study with these Buddhist monks. And in, in fact, they've asked them to, to, to do something with their hand they haven't done before. They'll measure with an MRI what, the, what the, the lighting up of the brain is. And they'll just say, do a simple practice with your hand for a month and come back in. And in a month's time, the area that's related to what the hand has been doing lights up in a bigger way. So they know that what happens when we set an intention to create a different activity in our lives, the brain responds. It's a way to measure plasticity. And so it's possible with any of the capacities that we're talking about. And the Dalai Lama, the, the Buddhists know this. They, they talk about imprints and how we, our, our minds and our brains can get imprinted. He goes into this, this idea of our tendency to compare. Dalai Lama talks about our tendency to compare things. And in the study, they've asked people to say, if you, if you look out at the world and you see struggle and, and people suffering, and you say to yourself, not from a place of, of being self-righteous or better than, but simply saying, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. I'm glad I'm not. When we were in Toronto, we were in a, they moved the venue to this old Trinity Church. And throughout the day, this, homeless people would come in because they were fed there. And these people would come in and they were, you know, their, their clothes were... It hadn't been washed in a long time, and they didn't, they, they didn't smell clean, but they were there as a, uh, to get food and to get support. And, you know, in that, to look at that and have compassion, but also to be grateful and say, geez, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. Or when we see people, whatever it may be, my mother's right now, she's in and out of the hospital, 92 years old, and she's, things are slowing down and, and quitting on her. But to, to be able to look at that and to find appreciation in our lives to say, I'm glad I'm not. And what happens is our level of satisfaction with life raises. And not from a, a, a sense of, of selfishness, but to have an appreciation of what's available for us now. As opposed to another study group said, I wish I were. When we stand and say, I wish I were the, one of the 12 nurses that won the, the lottery. Or I wish I were... Uh, uh, better looking, I wish I were taller, I wish I were shorter, I wish I were skinnier, I wish I were fitter. I wish... All that stuff, all it does is contributes to our, our sense of dissatisfaction. It diminishes our aliveness. So it's an insight. How do we fill ourselves up? What are the mental practices that allow us to align ourselves up with this greater sense of energy? There's four factors of fulfillment for happiness, Dalai Lama talks about. One is wealth, to have en enough resources in our lives to pursue it and to have the space and time. Worldly satisfaction, to have good health, to have friendships, to have community, to have opportunities to share our good and to be, to be the reciprocity of life. There's spirituality and there's enlightenment. The four, wealth, worldly satisfaction, spirituality, enlightenment. And the Dalai Lama says, if you can maintain a calm, peaceful state of mind, then you can be a very happy person. The greater the level of calmness of our mind, the greater our ability to enjoy a happy and joyful life. A calm mind. Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, all about this breathing. They teach Kriya Yoga, and a lot of it is the breath. One, one branch of it is the breath, slowing the breathing down. He talks about how these large turtles that breathe three times a minute live 300 years. So when we can slow our breathing down, it can be so, such a valuable technique. He continues, as long as there's a lack of inner discipline that brings calmness of mind, as long as there's a lack of inner discipline that brings calmness of mind, 
No matter what external faculties or conditions you have, they will never give you the feeling of joy and happiness that you're seeking. So in other words, as long as we're looking out in the world and trying to shift conditions or to acquire things to have a sense of fulfillment and happiness, it's not sustainable. It has to be a, a, a state of mind and a commitment and a devotion to simply say, you know, whatever's going on in my life, I'm gonna slow down my breathing, my thinking, I'm gonna ground my energy and my being right here and live in that close communion with spirit. Yogananda's work, as I've been reading this and reading this, and Laura and I have been using some of the practices because it's just, it's been calling to us. We, we laughed the other day because we said, we drove by the Self-Realization Fellowship in Los Angeles for 30 years. <laughs> Who are those crazy people? <laughs> eh. Had to come to Edmonton and live through, well, I don't know if I've lived through 13 winters, but I've been here for 13 winters. And, and you know, but all of a sudden, the consciousness wasn't ready. The information, the consciousness was there, but it was, the consciousness wasn't ready. And what, the whole premise there is to, to diminish, diminish, remove oneself from attachment to the world of conditions. It's not to not enjoy it and celebrate it and love it, but it's not who we are. But it's part of what we get to bump, bump up against and crack ourselves against in relationship to life and our commitment to, to, to allow it to be in that clean hollow vessel, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, that clean hollow vessel of divine expression. Just another, the Dalai Lama says, on the other hand, if you possess this inner quality, a calmness of mind, a degree of stability within, then even if you lack various external faculties that you would normally consider necessary for happiness, it is still possible to live a happy and joy-filled life. You know, I mean, look at, look at you know, the, I stayed up and watched the Eskimo game last night because, you know, one of the Eskimo main people is a member of our community, and I'm, now I'm really rooting for the team. You know, it's like, come on, boys. But, you know, there's nine teams, and there's eight teams. Jim, Jim O'Neill, nine or eight or nine teams in that league now, Jim. It varies. I think they're back to nine, aren't they? There's teams in that league. <laughs> only one of them, only one of them wins the Grey Cup every year. Only one. I mean, so, so should the others fold up and go home because they're, they made mistakes that year? That their history is that they've done, they haven't won it every year, so what's the point? Why try? Because I hear that around here, that our history is stronger. We can't go there because our history is, our, oh, such, our history is such a mess. We'll never get there. You'll never get there. <sighs> let's just roll it up and go home. We've got our 30 years and let's just quit. No. You keep trying, you keep stepping up, and you keep doing your work, and you keep diving in, and you keep looking at the air beliefs, because the great thing is to have certain experiences in our life, it's the result of embodying and living from the consciousness. So it's never over. So these great world-class athletes that don't win the championship one year, they get an opportunity to work and go run and to condition themselves. They practice, they put their energy into it. And so I'm never gonna do that. that, that, That never was part of my life. You know, I love sports. I was an athlete as a young man, and it was great for me, that outlet. And I dreamed of, you know, the, the fantasies that all young guys do. But the point is, is that we, there's practice in it, and the practice and the effort. The Dalai Lama says it's, a, it's sad to him that so many people spend so much time devoted to the, the physical form, perfecting the physical form. And we completely ignore this amazing capacity to train our minds the same way. People that walk every day, people that run every day, people that go to the gym on a regular basis, people that have physical activities, and yet it's so easy to ignore this amazing capacity that we have to transform our consciousness. 
and affect everything. There's a study by uh, one of the Buddhist monks, Michael Richard. He's a Frenchman. He's a photographer and a Buddhist monk, and he does a beautiful lecture on TED. A bit difficult to understand, or I would have played some of it for you today. But he talks about this, building this capacity, and, and there, are, there are Buddhist monks that will go for three years and, and basically meditate 12 hours a day for three years. And they come out of that meditation, their brains, they've measured the brain waves, they've the patterns with the MRIs. It's amazing what these men have done and these women have done. And so, and he says when they come out of that, now what they do in their, their, their regular life is they still meditate three to four hours a day. But meditation is so important for the transformation of this and, and burning off the dross of awareness so that a new possibility can happen. See, we've gone as far as we can with our minds. Yet we have to have our minds to, to, as a jumping off point into the divine. That's what I believe we're called to at this point in time in our evolution. We have all these beautiful writers. We have all these beautiful modalities, all of these measuring systems and where we are on how we think and, and where we are in our capacity to, to be on this planet. Wonderful information, but that's not the end unto itself. This is just indicators and valuable activities to move us into a greater alignment with the truth of our being. That's second kingdom stuff, to move us into third kingdom. So training the mind for happiness. The first step is learning. Learning what things align us and what things take us out of that alignment. And only you know that. What activities in your life could you start to eliminate, start to put down? The hatreds and the biases, the jealousies, the, 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 the competition, the, the, the pain and suffering, the negativity. What could you put down to make a little more room for something that's a little more valuable that would align you with a bigger idea? To cultivate positive mental states. What does that look like for you? Being here, hopefully, is part of that. Listening to this beautiful music, part of that. Spiritual practice. Whatever turns you within and allows you to do some deep and valuable work for yourself. Eliminate negative mental states. I don't do that anymore. Oh, there I am picking so-and-so up again and hating them. Ah, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to stop for a moment and just breathe into that. What is that? Who is that inside me that wants to keep hating? That wants to punish? Because all that does is punishes us. You know, it's like picking up a hot rock to throw at somebody's forehead and just holding it. There's no one key, the Dalai Lama says, no one key. So the practice of Dharma, replacing negative mental conditioning with positive mental conditioning. Discerning wholesome acts from unwholesome acts. The proper use of our intelligence and knowledge is to develop a good heart. That's what I love about the Buddhas. The Buddhists don't have a god they worship, nor do the Hindus. Well, the Buddha honors the teacher, the Buddha. But it's really about their own work. That's why these men will go sit on a mountaintop for three years and, and meditate for 12 hours a day in devotion to, to God and in devotion to the transformation of consciousness. And I'm not saying we need to do that. I don't think I could do that. But I know I can give it a good half hour every day or an hour. And I know I can continue to do my own house cleaning where I am where I am needing to, to fix or manipulate some way so that I can be happy when in fact I can be happy right where I am doing right what, what I'm doing he says the, the number one choice is will this choice bring me happiness this choice I am making today whatever it may be for you will this choice bring you happiness a happiness that is stable and consistent a happiness that remains despite life's up and downs at the end of his uh, Dan Gilbert's lecture he quotes, I'll finish with this. He quotes Adam Smith, who was one of the founders of capitalism years and years ago. And he said this, 
The great source of both the misery and the disorder of human life seems to arise from overrating the difference between one permanent situation and another because we're making it up anyway. If I don't get this, oh my God, I won't be happy. And as he says in the research, within, within 90 days, typically all that fades. Right back to our status quo. We win the lottery, within, within 90 days of winning the lottery, and I'm planning on this for myself, so I'll let you know how this goes. Within 90 days, winning the lottery, within 90 days, you're right back to the level of happiness you were. Fascinating. Some of the situations may no doubt deserve to be preferred to others, but none of them can deserve to be pursued with the passionate ardor which drives us to violate the rules either of prejudice or of justice or to corrupt the future tranquility of our minds. Either by shame from the remembrance of our own folly or by remorse for the horror of our own injustice. So when we sell our souls for what's out there, we lose ourselves. I think it's in Matthew. So what does, what does it gain a man to, to gain the world and lose his soul? He said we should have preferences that lead us into, some, some, into one future or another. I think that's important. We have to choose. But when those preferences drive us too hard and too fast because we have overrated the difference between these futures, we are at risk. When our ambition is bounded, it leads us to work joyfully. When our ambition is unbounded, it leads us to lie, to cheat, to steal, to hurt others, and to sacrifice things of real value. When our fears are bounded, we are prudent, we're cautious, we're thoughtful. And when our fears are unbounded and overblown, we're reckless and we're cowardly. The lesson I want to leave you with from this data, this is from Dan Gilbert again, is that our longings and our worries are both to some degree overblown because we are, have within us the capacity to manufacture the very commodity we are constantly chasing when we choose experience. We already have it. We're chasing it. Meister Eckhart said, the eye that I'm looking, that, that what I'm looking for, I'm looking with. We already have the capacity. The happiness is already contained in us. And it's bringing it to life and understanding that nothing out there can enhance it. But we think it can. We think it can. I was in a casino years ago in my misspent youth. And, and the dealer was dealing cards and he looked over and he said, oh, he's back. And I said, you know, and I'd been there. I had $12.50 to play with, so I'd been there a while. And um, um, like I was there for about two and a half hands, actually. But he said, uh, worst thing that can happen to you when you come into a casino is you win. And I never forgot that, because you think you can win all the time. And so then you, you win, and it's joyful. Are you happy? Yeah, gee, I had $12.50, and now I have $25. It's amazing. I'll never have, I won't have to work till Tuesday. But, all, but that's, not what, that's not the source of happiness. But it's so easy to fall into that. So we don't have to wait to be happy until things line up for us. It's already established within us. So let's be happy. So it is. Thank you.